Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. There's no question it is very, very much uh, the Christmas season and first day of summer today is awesome. Yes. So as the rain pelts down outside. But uh, I, I find it really interesting each year, particularly on social media, uh, we get the same posts that seem to regurgitate uh, the same reasoning around why Christians should not engage in the celebration of Christmas. I find that quite ironic. Uh, that as Christians we should disengage from the one opportunity that we have every year to openly talk about Jesus without getting some kind of major pushback. Uh, most of these posts tend to get caught up in dates, number one, and then uh, the thought that the Christmas message is actually a confusion or a conglomeration of both the Bible story of Jesus' birth and then a whole bunch of traditional stuff that just pollutes the message and so we should avoid it at all costs. I don't know that we should because this is the one time of year, for example, for us as a church that we can go to the Leaven Theatre and sing about Jesus and talk about Jesus and openly share the gospel of Jesus and we pack the leave in theatre five times over. It's the only time of year we can do that. Uh, this week I travelled to uh, Port Lincoln on the Air Peninsula in South Australia and next Friday night on the foreshore at Port Lincoln I will be singing about Jesus and I will be preaching about Jesus and here's the thing. 3,000 people will come out knowing that they're going to hear about Jesus, knowing that Jesus is going to be sung about, knowing that Jesus is going to be preached about, and they'll still come. So it is a remarkable opportunity that we have at this time of year. I'm pretty sure that God's not looking on, shaking his head, saying, guys, this isn't going to work because you've got the date wrong. I think perhaps what God does look on and shake his head about a little bit is Christians who choose to disengage from the best opportunity we have for the gospel because we're all hung up on the when and we forget all about the why. We get hung up about confused traditions. We get hung up about the, the commercialization of Christmas and the secularization of Christmas and we miss the opportunity to have, that we have to share the why because we're stuck at the when. Friends, the why is the good news. The why is the gospel. When the angel appeared to the shepherds, Luke 2 and 10 tells us, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. When the angel appeared to Joseph, Matthew 1 and 21, she will give birth to a son 
and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Isn't it interesting? People actually don't like to be told that they're sinful. I don't know if you've had those discussions, but you get major pushback on that one. And yet at Christmas time, we can openly tell it. At, at Christmas time, we can actually go there. We can talk about the need for a saviour. Because this, friends, is the Christmas message. Well, it should be the Christmas message. And, and I would suggest there's actually a lot to like about the Christmas season. Even from a traditional perspective, what it does in communities is amazing. That communities gather en masse in the Christmas season is quite remarkable. It's a sense of community, that, again, that we don't experience at any other time of year. Christmas is a time of great generosity. It's a time of kindness. It's a time for friendship and family. For many people, it seems to be the only time where they experience peace and goodwill. I think for some people, Christmas offers an escape. And I know at this time of year, we're all hammered. We're all incredibly busy. We're all a little bit tired. And when Christmas rolls around, we just have this short window, this short opportunity just to totally disengage. But as well as that, at Christmas time, there does become a shift from self-focused to being others-focused. And we see that at Christmas time in the generosity, in the giving. There is a, there is a, a sense of, you know, the, the whole, it's better to give than to receive. We love giving gifts. We love, uh, you know, we, we love being generous at Christmas time. Now, all of those positive attributes of Christmas shouldn't surprise us because they actually reflect the nature of God. They actually reflect the life of Jesus. That's why all of those positive attributes are so much a part of the Christmas spirit because the Jesus that we talk about, the babe in the manger, uh, he, he demonstrates in his life the character of God, which includes all of those attributes that we enjoy at Christmas time. Theologians call the birth of Jesus the incarnation. In simple terms, the incarnate God means God became man. That Jesus, when he lived his life on earth, was fully God, but also fully human. Now, for those of us who grew up in the church, we don't think terribly deeply about that because we're so familiar with it. But you try to talk about that to somebody who has not grown up in the church, and it is a big deal to try and get your head around that, a triune God, three persons but one. And so it's something that we've got to receive by faith. We accept by faith that God sent his only son, Jesus. But then we learn something in Philippians 2 and 6, speaking of Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? So that you and I might be saved. Luke 19 and 10, this is Jesus' mission, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is actually Jesus speaking about himself. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's the purpose of the babe in the manger, to seek and to save that which is lost. Now we might understand that purpose, but why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? And that's what I want to dig into for a few moments this morning. Because it's a really interesting title. And you've got to get a hold of this. It's actually a title that's attributed to Jesus in the New Testament or in the Bible 85 times. 85 times the Bible refers to Jesus as the Son of Man. 82 of those times, it is Jesus talking about himself, which is quite remarkable. So only three occasions it is used by other people in reference to Christ. But here is Jesus saying 80, uh, 82 times, I am the Son of Man. And I would, I would encourage you that as we unpack this, it helps us understand the mission of Jesus in a far deeper way. First of all, the title, the Son of Man, is in reference to his deity. That is in reference to him being God. He is essentially saying, in calling himself the Son of Man, he is saying, I am God. But if we rewind to the Old Testament, we also see that it was a term used by the prophets of God, those who would speak into the future, who would prophesy of Jesus' coming. Daniel was one of those prophets. This is many, many centuries before Jesus was even born. Daniel 7 and 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And this is the prophet Daniel speaking of the coming Messiah, speaking of Jesus. And it's interesting that this was a prophecy for the, for the nation of Israel because they were expecting a Messiah and Israel's history was one when they walked with God, they saw great victory, but when they rebelled against God, they often found themselves captive, either captive in a foreign land or under the authority uh, of foreign powers. And at the time of Jesus' birth in Jerusalem, uh, Israel was still under Roman authority. And so what they were looking for in a Messiah was a military ruler who would come in and overthrow the authorities of the day and, and, and to, uh, to, to bring godly authority to the people of Israel that would give them ultimate power. That's what they were looking for in their Messiah. And sadly, that's why they missed Jesus. But it's interesting, while most of the people in Israel at the time 
missed the birth of Jesus, missed recognizing him as the Messiah, quite a few people at the time actually did recognize who he was. Matthew 2 and 1, we have this account after Jesus was born in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Uh, And you need to understand the reason he was disturbed is here is the announcement of a new king, but he is the reigning king. The only way a new king can become a new king is that the old king is either dead or, or been overthrown. So King Herod would have been greatly disturbed, as it says, by this announcement. King Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, it's interesting that these wise men actually disclosed way too much information to Herod. It wasn't a terribly wise move because Herod sent the Magi uh, to find the Christ and come back and report to him. Uh, so that he might go and worship him. In actual fact, his determination was to kill this prophesied king. But anyway, the Magi, uh, uh, in a show of great wisdom after over-disclosing, decided when they found Jesus, they'd actually go home via a different route. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So here's the thing. When Jesus begins to refer to himself as the Son of Man, he's not just pulling a name out of thin air and it's kind of like, well, that sounds good. He was saying, I am the Son of Man. I am the one. I am the one to whom has been given all authority and power and dominion. I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. And this is why the words of Jesus were often so offensive to the religious leaders of the day. He said things like this, Matthew 13, 41, The Son of Man will send His angels out and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels and He will reward each person according to what He has done. Mark 13, 26, at that time men will see the, com- the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And all these statements where Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man would have totally, totally angered the Pharisees. So much so that they wanted to kill Jesus because in calling himself the Son of Man, he was identifying himself as God. Then in Matthew 16, we have this account. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say he's John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you guys? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? 
Simon Peter answered, Well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So many people didn't get it. The Pharisees didn't want to get it. Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples got it and understood it. And friends, each and every person needs to be able to answer that question, who do you say the Son of Man is? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord, you are in a state of what the Bible calls lostness, separated from your Creator. Jesus' mission was to come to seek and to save that which is lost. So when Jesus refers to himself 82 times as the Son of Man, he is making a declaration of his deity, I am God. And friends, Jesus is not just a nice little traditional story to sing about at Christmas time. Jesus is God. But secondly, the title, the Son of Man, is also in reference to his humanity. Because if Jesus just called himself the Son of God, and that was certainly a title attributed to Jesus, well, that refers uniquely to his deity. But the Son of, the son of Man is a title that speaks as much about his humanity as it does about his deity, if that makes sense. Hebrews 2 and 14, we are people of flesh and blood. This is why Jesus became one of us. He died to destroy the devil who had power over death. But he also died to rescue all of us who live each day in fear of dying. Jesus clearly did not come to help angels, but he did come to help Abraham's descendants. That includes us. He had to be one of us so that he could serve God as our merciful and faithful high priest and sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins. So as the Son of Man, in reference to his humanity, the cool thing is that there is not one person on the face of this earth that Jesus does not represent. And what's even cooler than that is that it's in Jesus' DNA. Because as you look at his, at his human lineage, as you go back through his ancestral roots, you will find in there murderers and adulterers and prostitutes and thieves. These are in the ancestry of Jesus. And what a mixed ancestry it is, which helps us understand that Jesus knows us that Jesus identifies with us. Not only that, but the, the conditions of his birth were so incredibly humble. He wasn't born into royalty. He was born into very, very simple, humble, dare I say, working class circumstances. 
Jesus was born just as all babies are born. Luke 2 and 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We don't have much recorded about the childhood of Jesus, but we know the Bible tells us he had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with men and God. Luke 2.40 tells us, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So friends, Jesus in every way was totally human, which means he had to contend, as we all do, with the same human emotions, all the same limitations of being human. And we see that in the scripture. You know, as I've said, most of us feel pretty wrecked at this time of year. It is an exhausting time of year with everything wrapping up. There is a comfort in knowing that Jesus got exhausted, that Jesus himself at times was tired. John 4 and 6, And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. We know that Jesus was physically thirsty at times. Luke 19, 28, later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jesus hungered like we hunger at times. Matthew 4 and 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, one of the most obvious statements in the Bible, he was hungry. And as Hebrews 4 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And then we know Jesus faced death. As every single person in this room, I, I'm reliably informed the statistics are still 100%. Every one of us will die. But here was the amazing thing about Jesus that sets a wonderful precedent for us. That on the third day he rose again to demonstrate victory over death. A same victory that is afforded to all, believe, all who believe in him. He has for once and for all conquered the grave. And we have a future hope of bodily resurrection because all of the, that Jesus has done for us. That deserves an amen. So the Bible clearly demonstrates the humanity of Jesus. The Bible shows us that Jesus experienced the joys and the agonies, the, 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 the full array of human emotion. It tells us about Jesus crying, about Jesus being angry, about Jesus having fun. I read between the lines and I think Jesus at times had a wonderful sense of humor. We read about Jesus being troubled in spirit. There were things that Jesus still marveled at. And then he demonstrates great sorrow at times. Friends, you can never ever make the claim that Jesus doesn't understand you, that Jesus doesn't understand what you are going through because the reality is he has been in your shoes. He has faced the same temptations that you and I faced. He has faced all the trials, all the pains, 
all the frustrations of this life so that he could fully represent you and fully identify with you. So when you are tempted to think that no one understands, you need to remember that Jesus, the Son of Man, knows who you are. He knows where you have been. He knows where you are right now. He cares for you and he understands you. And so that title that Jesus gives to himself, the Son of Man, is not just an expression of his deity. It is a beautiful expression of his humanity. And I'm just going to invite the team to come back. Because thirdly, the title, the Son of Man, actually identifies some specific tasks in Jesus' mission on earth. And here's just a few quotes that we find in the Bible. For example, it says the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Huge part of Jesus' mission. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. We don't have time to dig into that today. The Son of Man came to love and serve. The Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for the lost. They're all quotes from the Word of God. So there are a number of things that the Son of Man came and did but wonderfully, there are a number of things that we discover in God's Word that the Son of Man is yet to fulfill. Matthew 24, Oh, sorry, back up one. 24, 36. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He goes on further to say in verse 44, So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. And here is the wonderful thing. We serve a risen Saviour. Jesus is alive. And we have that hope that one day Jesus will return. And we've got to be ready. Because Jesus said concerning that time in Luke 12 and 8, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Friends, the truth is that at Christmas time, the world over, people are in one way or another focused on the person of Jesus. And people love to think about the joy, the love, the peace of Christmas. But let me encourage you when we think about Jesus. We cannot just think about an innocent little baby lying in a manger with a halo around his head. Some people will go further than that. They say, well, you know, we know through the life of Jesus and through ancient texts, that Jesus was a pretty good bloke. He was certainly a very powerful teacher. He was a great storyteller. But they refused to go so far as to say he is God. Let me remind you, friends, that Jesus called himself the Son of Man 82 times, which means if he's not the Son of God, then he is also not a great man or a good teacher. It actually means that he is a liar and has a severe personality disorder. 
Friends, Jesus is the Son of Man who is returning one day with all power and all authority. That little baby that is so much a part of Christmas imagery is the Son of Man. And every single human being will one day stand before Him and give an account of their life. And He alone has the power to judge both the living and the dead. And I don't know where you are at this morning, but I do know that God does know where you're at. I also know that it's no coincidence that He has brought you here today to hear this very message. To hear that as the Son of Man, Jesus is fully God. And that as the Son of Man, Jesus is also fully man. And friends, can I tell you that Son of Man wants to do a work in your life. What is that work? Again, Jesus tells us His mission. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So how do we then respond to that? Well, again, let me read you Jesus' words from Revelation 3 and 20. Jesus says, Look, I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. And I don't know all of us here this morning. I don't know where you stand in regards to God. But if you do not know God, it is time to open the door to Him. It is time to turn to Jesus, the Son of Man, and to welcome Him into your life and to allow Him to begin to change your perspective, to discover all that you can be in Him, to discover the purpose for which God created you. Because life is fully found in Christ. So how do we begin that journey? Well, we just got to confess Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible says. That if you confess Him, confess your needs, and then change your mind. The Bible uses a word called repent, which is just literally a 180. I was heading in this direction. Now I'm heading in a whole new direction. That direction was about me being the boss of my life and me trying to do the best that I can to muddle through life and sort life out and try to make life make sense. But I turn from that self-ruled life, which is a life that is in rebellion against God. And I turn to life that Jesus makes possible. And I invite Him in to live. Because the third part of the triune God is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, a very real force in your life to bring conviction, to bring counsel, to bring an understanding of truth, to guide your path in truth according to the Word of God. And that is the most exciting, fulfilling, rewarding choice that you can make in your life. But it's a choice that has eternal consequences. Because we're not spiritual beings having a human experience. Sorry, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. That's an eternal perspective. To live every day knowing that this world is not all that it appears to be that there is a greater force at work, that my life doesn't end the moment this body gives up, that there is an eternity that God has prepared for us, that we are eternal beings in the sight of God. And the very real decision we make to open up our lives to the influence of the Son of Man, to allow Him to forgive us and to cleanse us and to set us free and to set our lives on a new path. It's the wisest, smartest decision that we can make this Christmas. And so we give you that opportunity this morning 
We are a faith community, a faith family. Jesus is the central focus of that. And His mission becomes our mission to seek and to save that which is lost. So I'm just going to ask Gabby to put the words of a prayer on the screen because this is just a very simple mechanism to help you make that first step towards God. And we're not here to embarrass you this morning. I'm not going to ask you to jump up and shout out and come down the front. I'm just going to give you a simple, respectful opportunity right where you're sitting just to open up your heart to God and say, Jesus, here I am. I turn to you this morning. So I'll read this prayer once and then we'll read it through together. And as I read it, if you don't know God, just say, God, does that need to be my prayer today? And see what God says in your heart. I pray that you will resonate with this. Dear God, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. I want to trust Him as my Saviour and follow Him as Lord. From this day forward, guide my life and help me to do Your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. That's a simple, short prayer. But those words, if you mean it, are that first step in discovering the fullness of what God has for you.